going to speak this week and she selfishly got COVID um, and then Shane was going to fill in and he got sick. Uh, so this is going to be a very much over to you morning. Um, so mainly I'm just going to hand over to you to talk about these questions. What have been some playful, life-giving encounters of church and God? Where has laughter been a part of community? And where has laughter, joy, been a part of your encounter with the divine? Um, but while you're thinking, we'll do what we traditionally do, which is look at a passage from the Bible and just see what we notice about it and um, see if there's things that we wonder about it. Um, but I'm enough of a teacher to know that if I show you the passage while I'm doing other things, you'll just read it. So I'm going to take it off and um, pray for us before we do anything else. Loving God, um, thank you for this um, funny community. Um, it is a place of um, that's funny both in the ha-ha and strange sense. And, um, yeah, it's something that I love. I love both things about it. I love the fact that there is lots of laughter here. And I love the fact that there are lots of strange people here. And I pray this morning that you will be with us as we just um, explore a passage together and talk about stories together. Um, help us to, to feel you in the midst of all of that. And I pray that this morning might be a chance for us to connect more with each other um, and with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I kind of already did the intro to the series bit. So, yeah, tears and laughter is what we're looking at. And this is the laughter phase, hence those questions. And, um, again, as I said, we looked at laughter and loss a couple of weeks ago and then laughter and the Bible last week. And, yeah, this week we're thinking about times in which laughter and delight have been part of your experience of um, church and or community can be other communities i guess uh, but yeah let's start with this passage this is as you can see at the bottom from the gospel of john chapter 21 1 to 14 this is after the resurrection um, and it's also after peter's betrayal of jesus uh, so john is the gospel where we we have that story of Peter denying Jesus three times. And uh, so it's important to have that story as the context for this encounter between Jesus and Peter. Would someone like to read it for us? Someone that has good enough eyesight to be able to read it from there? So, thanks, Tessa. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realise that it was Jesus. 
He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of, the, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Thanks, Tessa. So what are some things, I mean, related to the theme, I guess, of, um, of joy and delight, but also any other observations that you have about this passage, things you wonder about it, things that you've never noticed before, or if this is the first time you've ever <laughs> read this passage, things that you're noticing for the first time. I just really like how like they're all so surprised, but they took the time to make sure that there were 153 fish and they all counted all of them. Thanks, Percy. Yes, it's interesting to know when the counting happened. Was it after breakfast? <laughs> I'm just noticing the sharing of a meal. And that happened a few of the times that Jesus appeared to people after the crucifixion. And the observation that um, something special happens when you share with a group of people around a meal. Um, I spent a lot of time on boats growing up. And when someone jumps overboard and just swims for the shore, there's an absurdity about that that's quite funny in the story. Yeah, absolutely. That kind of, yeah, trying to work out at what point can I, am I shallow enough to run <laughs> without looking ridiculous? Yeah. I'm not sure I've realised before, but... Um, when you were reading it, I was thinking, oh, like, it's the same thing that happened when Jesus walked on the water, that Peter was the one who got out of the boat, and I'm just like, was like, I'm coming. Um, yeah, and the other disciples didn't. I just thought it was interesting, kind of repetition of the same. Yeah, I think uh, that's the thing I love about John. There's this real sense of consistency of character with some, with some of them, um, and definitely with Peter. I love the portrayal of Peter in this one. I'll come this way. Thanks, Rod. Um, this is more related. There's a similar story at the start when Jesus first meets the disciples, and um, I think it says there was, he says, put it out. They fished all night and they hadn't caught anything. He said, put it out, and and it said there was two boatloads full of fish, and uh, they nearly sank. And then 
the humorous bit in my mind was that um, uh, in that story, after they get there, he says, um, there's an exchange, he says, oh, come follow me. And so they all apparently wander off. And I'm thinking of they've got two boatloads full of fish sitting there and people, oh, what's going to happen to all of this? You know? <laughs> anyway. Probably Zebedee had to deal with them all himself while his sons wandered off, yeah. This was going to follow on from Deb's, but just about Simon Peter um, jumping into the water. And I wonder why he um, put his outer garment around him. Like, was he a bit confused? Because as someone who's taught swimming, you, you don't want excess clothing on when you're in the water because you sink. So maybe it was a moment of madness. Who knows? But that was a, a noticing. It's funny that different things you see when you put a different lens on a story, and some others have brought out points, but overall, it just occurred to me that when you look past the kind of dry translation, it's a really funny story. Like, put a kind of slapstick lens on this, and you've got some people they have just kind of had a traumatic experience, and then one of them says, I'm going fishing, and they all go fishing, and don't catch anything, and then a random guy says, put your net on the other side, and the water goes under the boat, so why are there fish on this side and not on that side? They get too many fish, one guy jumps in, and then I just thought, with Peter walking on the water before, did he expect to have to swim? Or was he thinking, it's Jesus, I'm going to walk. Did he, like, step out and then just flail around and then start swimming to shore? I don't know, like, you could... <laughs> and, like, what's Jesus thinking? What's his frame of mind? Does, is he like messing with them I don't know it's just yeah it could be, it's a really it's kind of just a funny story in some ways but also serious yeah because last week we looked at the wedding at Cana story and from and the version of it from the last temptation of Christ and that kind of Jesus in that being sort of cheeky dancing Jesus um, I'd never noticed that there's a reference to Cana in this story, um, Nathaniel from Cana, and whether that's John kind of nodding to the very first miracle um, as we have what I guess is the, la the last miracle of manifesting these fish, I don't know. I think that's one thing that I've realised in the last few years that these Gospels are so much more sophisticated than we often give them credit for. Was there anything else that you noticed, Jeremy? I really like the idea of throwing your nets on the right side of the boat. It's just such a dumb solution to the problem. Like how they would have been failing all night. Like if that, if that solution had come right at the beginning, they'd be like, that, that's dumb. But at a certain point, you fail for so long that you're like, mm, I don't know. I guess we'll give it a shot. And they didn't know that it was Jesus at the time. So it's just this random person trying to solve their problems from the shore. I love to see the discussion around, should we do this thing? Does he know how nets work? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think the thing, the thing that um, Tamsin noticed in this story was just um, what Jeanette really picked up on, and, is, and that's that thing of hospitality and the sharing of a meal. Um, I was listening to a Christian ethicist recently talking about 
what he considers to be the three key kind of ethical demands of being a follower of Jesus. And I can't remember the other two, but I do remember that one was radical hospitality. And um, it's, it is incredible when you look at the Gospels and you look at um, Jesus' death and resurrection, just how many meals there are in the lead-up and in the aftermath of um, Jesus' death and yeah, what we're meant to make of that in terms of the call to hospitality and the connection between kind of hospitality and intimacy and love um, and what there is in hospitality that uh, allows us to demonstrate what the kingdom of God is. Um, Tamsin talked about loving the image of a shame, shame-free, inclusive, life-giving table. Um, and it is, it is, that is radical hospitality, you know, where your invitation to people is um, to create this shame-free, inclusive and life-giving table. Um, and that is definitely what, what Jesus is doing here for Peter, who has betrayed him. Um, and the follow-up to this story is Jesus asking Peter three times if Peter loves him. Uh, so there's this clear reference to Peter denying him three times in that story and this beautiful image of reconciliation that Jesus is not pretending that that didn't happen but is referring to it in a way that is reconciling and liberating to Peter. Um, and... When Peter says, I love you, yes, you know I love you, you know I love you three times, and Jesus says, feed my sheep, um, that somehow this realisation that you are radically forgiven and accepted and welcome at a table with Jesus is at the heart of knowing how to feed other people, knowing how to, um, to welcome other people to this shame-free and inclusive table. But I promised that I wouldn't be doing preaching stuff today, but just um, handing over to your questions and stories. So with that in mind, that image of kind of radical hospitality, of kind of these, this, the absurdity of the absurd beauty of this story, um, yeah, I just want to see if there are kind of experiences that you've had or stories that you have that in a sense echo or resonate with this story of radical hospitality, of kind of silliness and absurdity, but also beauty and inclusiveness. Um, while you're thinking, I'll, I'll just quickly tell you my story um, and then I'll hand over to you. And that's for those who are listening to the podcast, I've just put up a picture of a goat. Um, her name was Charlotte. And this is a story that took place about um, about nine months, so a gestation period of time after my marriage disintegrated. Um, and I went to Vancouver in Canada to do a summer school at a theological college there, and I met this couple called Matt and Julie Canlis, and they were travelling across the States to 
a job in Michigan, and they said, oh, you want to drive across with us? Which I said yes to immediately. And um, in the week before we left, we went over the mountains to a place called, from, they lived in Seattle, so we went down to Seattle and over the mountains to this town called Yakima, where their friend Jody's parents lived. And there, um, it was a, a, a radical experience of, of welcome and hospitality from her parents. Um, and at night after dinner, they had this kind of outdoor, sort of this desert sky and this outdoor hot tub. And after dinner, we all kind of went out and sat in the hot tub. Um, and after a while, people started drifting back inside. And eventually, it was just me and a beer and a sky full of stars. And I remember sitting there just having this incredible and overwhelming sense of well-being and joy and connection um, in the warm embrace of this family and at this place um, after such an experience of brokenness. And um, so, yeah, when, when I was looking at Tamsin's questions, that's for some reason what came to me, Ch Charlotte the Goat and Jody's parents and drinking a beer in a hot tub in the state of Washington, looking at the stars. Um, so what about you? Any, any particular things come to mind when you think about playful, life-giving encounters or laughter, joy? Dean? Thank you, Rob. Um, it's a it's a different story to the one you just told, but it, it, it is placeful and it was highly humorous. Uh, and it came out of embarrassment, which was a lot of laughter, and it served to break up, um, open up um, a thing. So that's the sort of backdrop to it. Um, it was in a church, uh, a, a highly conservative church up in Queensland, and... Um, uh, f uh, just describing the background, it was a Churches of Christ and um, a, a, an old traditional one where you had the communion table at the front and, uh, and a person, in this case it was an older male, they called preside, who would do the communion, um, come the communion. Different from here where it was that. But, uh, up, so there was a table and it had a lace... Um, a lace tablecloth that dripped down and this guy would sit behind the table and and then uh, come the time for communion, he would stand up and, you know, say all the communion stuff. Anyway, so that's the backdrop. What happened was um, that, um, as I said, it's, it was an embarrassing, so I'll tell it how it was, but the guy must have checked that because he was, he was getting to the point where he had to stand up and say it, He's checked his fly to make sure his fly's done up. And in doing so, he's caught the lace of the tablecloth on the communion table. So this is a highly, you know, very religious moment. And comes the time and there's a microphone like that sort of there. So he stands up. As he stands up, he starts pulling all the, the tablecloth and all the communion elements, which are all you know, holy and sacred, um, starts coming forward. And he's, and he's frozen, and then he, he, the mic's just there, and he says, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> and it just went through the whole church. Uh, and there was this momentary, like, oh, and then everyone started laughing. 
and it was just, yeah, it, hopefully you got it. It broke up and there was something sacred about the fact that it just broke it and saying, look, we're all just people here, you know, come, come to it. Yeah, so I don't know, hopefully you got it because it was, it was a funny and la- people were laughing and, you know, talk about it and that sort of thing. But it served to somehow break through this, you know, formal, over-holy sort of stuff, you know, yeah. Thanks, Dean. Yeah, we talk, yeah, we've talked a lot in the past about, yeah, that space between seriousness and kind of solemnity and how sometimes you need to break the solemnity to, to really feel the seriousness, but, yeah. Anything else? Percy? Thanks. Um, I've always found it, like, really fun to, like, make fun of being religious and, like, I had... I really enjoyed like humor that centered around like God and Jesus. And I think especially like now, like moving from a conservative space into a space where like I've not always been accepted in religion, there's a sort of power in being able to like make fun of it. And especially with people in my life who are queer but not religious. And there's, like, a joy in being able to, like, make fun of it. But in a way that, like, still respects my connection to it. And so recently I was in this, like, novelty shop that was selling, like, all kinds of things. And they had a little packet of Jesus Band-Aids. And the Band-Aids are, like, it's, like, my friend described it as, like, pop art Jesus. So there's, like, all these different, like, Jesus in different colours like, across the whole of the Band-Aid. And so this week, I just randomly cut myself because I'm very clumsy and put on a Jesus Band-Aid and I was going around with my finger. It was actually on this finger. (laughs) And I was going around being like, Jesus heals. (laughs) Um, And just, like, showing anybody who who would care. Um, (laughs) And... Yeah, I find stuff like that, like playing with all of this kind of like these ideas about who Jesus is and what Jesus does and and being able to just like make a lot of fun of that. Um, and then um, the other thing that happened for me this week was a friend was like, you free on Sunday morning? And I was like, no, I'm spending time with Jesus. <laughs> and he was like, tell her I said hi, (laughs) and then I was like, Jesus sends her best regards, and just, like, that was a queer friend, and being able to, like, play with gender, and kind of make the space of religion something that's very safe for people from my community, um, is kind of very powerful. Thanks, Percy. Yeah, beautiful. It's on a similar sort of vein. Um, My old church was very, very conservative and I helped design, redesign their logo. Um, And it's this beautiful rainbow logo. Um, And we've had great jokes saying one day that church will enjoy the rainbow and have it as their pride symbol. Right now it's not so much, but one day it will be. Fantastic. 
Um, picking up on what um, Percy was sharing before, I can relate a lot to that. Um, our, um, what are we calling them, like home group or whatever we call them in this church, um, we've called ourselves the Holy Order of the Radiant Daughters of the Lord. <laughs> Playing off name because most of us grew up in church that have had Bible study groups named something similar, so decided to do that for a bit of fun and sort of in a healing sort of way. Yeah. And that is such a it's such a classically queer thing, I guess, to to reclaim words that have been used violently um, and sort of turn them so that they um, are part of your healing. Yeah. Yeah, that's beautiful. Anything else that people wanted to share? I remember when I was 26, I was leading a community up in Sydney and I made a, I co-wrote a short film with a friend and we drove down to Melbourne for the St Kilda Short Film Festival. Um, and we were on, a, on Fitzroy Street in a bar, three in the morning, just talking to some other people that were there as part of it. And um, this guy I was talking to did the classic. So yeah, what do you? Are you a filmmaker or what do you do? And yeah, just the the, <laughs> the wonderful absurdity of being a 26-year-old in a bar on Fitzroy Street at three in the morning and saying, "Oh, I'm actually like a kind of like a priest." <laughs> yeah. When he stopped laughing, I said, "No, no, really." Um, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it's it's yeah, it's part of the the way I guess that you protect yourself from the inherent absurdity of what it is that you do and what your identity is, but also celebrate it at the same time. Thanks, everyone. So let's... Um, we'll get Charlotte to oversee communion. Charlotte the goat, the goat of God. Um... So yeah, obviously, in the kind of absurdly minimalistic way that we do, do the um, the communion table, um, we we are still symbolising. It's really so small that it has to be a symbol, but symbolising that idea of radical hospitality that we looked at in the story, um, and the beauty of. I guess the beauty of meals is that they they create that kind of space where you can shift very quickly from one kind of space to another. You can shift very quickly from from laughter to seriousness to um, to whatever. And there's something about a meal that makes it safe to yeah to move from tears to laughter and back again, and to feel seen and to feel included. And this is a place where we really do want this table and this community to be a place where there is no shame and where there is inclusion and where you can bring your whole self. And that's always an aspiration. There's always going to be ways in which um, we, even in our own inept way, enforce forms of conformity or whatever and make people feel like there's certain parts of what I am that it's difficult to bring to this particular place. So that's, it's always an aspiration more than a, a claim for this is what we do. But that is our aspiration, to be a place where people can experience the radical hospitality of God in a way that 
makes them feel seen and embraced. So, um, yeah, what we do is just come forward, take a little thing of juice. Um, the first person to each of the little things has to crack the crackers so that we can take uh, a cracker. Though you don't need to crack them too much because there's almost enough for one each. And when everyone's ready, standing in a little circle, I will pray for us and then we'll eat and drink. Um, yeah, so feel free to come forward, take some juice and a bit of cracker. Let's pray. Loving God, help us to be a community of radical hospitality and help us to be a community which, like a good meal or a good dinner party, has space for diversity, has space for laughter, has space for tears, has space for people to bring their whole selves. And I pray that this might also be a community where there are moments of delight, moments of joy, and that those moments of delight and moments of joy can find their place in amongst um, the moments of tears and, and sadness and the acknowledgement of loss. I thank you for our loose following of the church calendar and the way there is space in that calendar for, for grief and for joy and help us to be a community that always allows space for that in the spirit of true hospitality. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's eat and drink.